All right, we good? Let's get into it. We're going to be in uh, Revelation uh, uh, chapters 8, 9, 10, and 11. So uh, it sounds like it's a lot, and it is, but we're going to condense it down. We're essentially going to be looking at the trumpets uh, this morning as we continue our study. Uh, We've been in a series uh, on the book of Revelation for some time, and what we're trying to do is we're trying to look at this book through the lens of our, our, our next 10 years as a church. In other words, um, if, if Revelation is, is the revelation given to us to show us where all of history is headed, where do we want to go as a church in light of that, in light of this book? Does that make sense? That's, that's why we're calling it the next 10, because we want to look as to, as to where... God is taking all of this, and we want to make decisions in, in, our, in our spending, in our, in our growth, in our discipleship that, that, will, that, will, that will be made in light of where we are headed as a church for the next 10 years, as we're 10 years old currently. Now, this book, as we've come to discover, is challenging. It's challenging. And, and trust me, as, as, as a preacher who gets up here every week, um, I would much rather spend time taking us through a book like Philippians, just on encouragement, or to go through the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5 for six or eight weeks. Um, But there are reasons that we landed on studying Revelation. The first of which is that we believe it to be the revelation from Jesus himself. Um, The second of which, there are so many misconceptions about this book. The first of which is that it's just all about the wrath and anger of God against a wicked world. And the one day he's going to take all the good Christians up to heaven and he's going to destroy all of earth. And that just could not be further from the truth. However, there's a lot here about God's judgment. Against things that, that you too would want to be judged in that sense, this book itself is sort of a relief book. It gives us relief to know that God is a God who is doing something about all of the, the unjust things in the world. It tells the story of how God is going to make all things right again one day. That's where we're headed. And so, yes, there is, there's imagery and symbolism used that is so hard to wrap our minds around. But as we have seen, we can trust God even when we don't understand. So in Revelation 8 through 11, the chapters that we're going to be sort of in and out of this morning, we read about the seven trumpets in the end times, and it's going to feel a bit like the seven seals or seven scrolls from the past two weeks, but because the book of Revelation is is repetitive, we see kind of this, this cycle that we kind of go through in these sevens, the seven bowls, as we're going to get to in Revelation 16 as well. The, the seal cycle or the scroll cycle gives us a picture of the preservation of God's people. So that's what we looked at the last two weeks. How God in the end times is going to preserve or keep his people safe. Okay, that was what Tim and I addressed over the past two weeks. The trumpets, though, are similar, but they're not identical. The trumpets have a different emphasis. They give a different perspective on things. The seals or scrolls revealed 
that this coming age will be marked by trials and tribulation. We feel a lot of that even now as we live our lives. There will be wars and rumors of wars and plagues and famines, all of which are happening even today. The trumpets, though, emphasize that God is active in his judgments even now. So it's not just looking forward to the end times, but it's also that now God is active in his judgments. He is enacting his judgment on the world even now, which is a good thing because we need God's righteous justice on earth. He has the ability to judge not only on the last day, but even now. And so what they are meant to do, both of them, the scrolls that were read or the trumpets, they're meant to awaken us. Wake up, O sleeper, to the power and the glory of God. Uh, most mornings, Sarah and I go to, the, uh, to swim at the YMCA uh, before the kids even wake up. We, leave their, we get up around 5.30, 5.45, and we swim from like 6 to 6.30. We come home and we wake the kids up if they're not already awake. And Lucy is, she's our sleeper for sure. Uh, Noe, I know she likes her sleep too. Tyson's always kind of been our morning kid. But especially Lucy right now, she's the one who's always still asleep. Um, and Noah's so good at setting her alarm and getting up, and Lucy's just not. And so often Sarah will yell up the stairs, and it's, it's just the exact same way every single day. It's, uh, Lucy, wake up. Lucy, wake up. She doesn't. And then a few minutes later, I do the same thing. And mine is different. Mine is, Lucy Goose, let's go. Lucy Goose, let's go. And Noah probably has to hear that over and over and over again. Right, Noe? Yeah. Um, sometimes it takes multiple calls. Actually, every morning it takes multiple calls. The, the trumpets here that we're going to look at this morning are meant to be those, those repetitive wake-up calls. For the people of earth to see what God is doing and see what he is working towards. That's what these trumpets are intended to do. To be these repetitive wake-up calls for the people of the earth. This is the theme throughout scripture that we often see repeated. Church, I want you to see this. It's a theme of calling us out of our slumber. Out of our sleepiness. Paul writes to the Ephesians, he actually is using a quote from Isaiah, and he says this, he says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead. He draws this again from Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 51, the prophet, he, he, he opens his words in Isaiah 51 with, Listen to me. And then for the next 23 verses, he is calling the Israelites, who were many of which being, being held captive in Babylon at the time, to wake up. He goes on, watch this. Verse 1, listen to me. Give attention to me. Verse 4, lift up your eyes to me. Verse 6, listen to me. Verse 7, awake, awake, awake. Verse 9, wake yourself, wake yourself. Verse 17, hear me. Verse 21, what is he trying to do there? Get their attention. Look to me. Wake up. Growing up, my dad had a trumpet. Uh, I think he, did he play, he played in high school in the band. Was he in the band? Yeah. And he would pull his trumpet out on occasion. And well, it wasn't like the cool guy guitar. It was kind of neat that he would pull his trumpet out and he would walk around the house and he would just trumpet 
Is that, is that how you put it? You, you, you trumpet, yeah. He would just trumpet around the house. Um, and if you've never heard a trumpet blast in your house, it's very loud. It sounds something like this. There you go. That's fun, isn't it? Yeah, let's congratulate Eric for knowing how to play his trumpet. Yeah. Now, in the Bible, um, there, there, there's another passage where trumpets are blown. Um, after Moses and the Israelites wandered for 40 years with the promised land in sight, where they're excited about the promised land, Moses finally gets them there to the promised land. It, gets, it says it, it can see it, it can, they can see it in the distance, and God says to Moses, Moses, lay down and die. Okay, you've, you've, you've done the hard work here. Joshua's taken them in. And when they did, they marched around Jericho for seven days, blowing trumpets. This is found in Joshua chapter 6. There was a week of warning, an entire week of warning, that they're coming in. And on the seventh day, when the seventh trumpet sounded, the walls fell down and the Israelites entered the city. The seventh trumpet was a signal for God's people. It signals our entrance, our entrance into something greater, into his presence, into the celestial city that we will live in forever. That is what that seventh trumpet symbolizes. And so, church, as we get into our text here, here's what I want us to, to leave with this morning. If you leave with one thing from Revelation 8, 9, 10, and 11 this morning, I want it to be that God is consistently inviting you to wake up. God is consistently inviting us to wake up. Yes, God is just to judge, but he is merciful to blow the trumpets, to sound the alarm. For what? For what? What is he sounding the alarm to? To come. To come. All who are burdened and heavy laden. To the well that won't dry up, come receive living water. Flee from all that will leave you parched and unsatisfied and needy and poor and wanting more. Come to me. And so I want to look at the trumpets in four stages. The first four, then the fifth, then the sixth, and then the seventh. Firstly, the first four warnings. We're going to do this. I'm over. Love it. We're just going to keep doing that because I don't use props ever, and we got to maximize the prop this morning. The first four warnings, danger of putting our hope in the things of this world. I'm going to read chapter 8, verses 7 through 12 for us to get us started. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. See, it's hard stuff, isn't it? The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on, the third of the uh, on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, 
and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, and a third of their light meant, uh, might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. These trumpets are, are communicating what life will be like in this world between the ascension of Jesus, already happened, and the return of Jesus, things many of which were already seen happen to some extent today. If we take the first four trumpets as a whole, uh, they they seem to depict the ongoing judgment of the things of this wor- on the things of this world. So here's what I want you to see: like many of those things, things that people like you and I, we we put our hope and trust in for safety, security, and sustenance. But we also admit that those things are broken; they're vulnerable. They aren't whole. And, and we know that and we feel that. There, there's, some, there's, there's, there's something broken and in, imperfect about all of the things of this world that we put our hope in. Just as an example, you ever wonder why we needed a store called Whole Foods to begin with? Right? It's like, what was I eating before? To, to, to me, Whole Foods is... is is such an indication that we know and that we feel that even the food that we eat isn't the way it's supposed to be. It's sprayed with chemicals and so we go organic, but then the farmers aren't treating the workers right and the animals are being abused and the food is processed and the food contains carcinogens and the bottles of water are creating pollution. See, you, you find a solution to a problem just to find another problem. It's maddening. It's that maddening cycle, and you can chalk it up to a current judgment on the things of this earth. This is why Solomon eventually concluded, vanity, vanity. He was not saying life has no point. He was simply concluding that you cannot put your hope, your trust, and stake your life on created things. They are fleeting. And so the first trumpet reveals a picture of one-third of the fields and trees burning so hunger cannot be satisfied. The second trumpet is a picture of great kingdoms of the world that are, are going to come crashing down. The third trumpet is a picture of a star falling from heaven, blazing like a torch. This would be a reference from Isaiah 14, 12, 13, 14, and 15, where Babylon's guardian angel is pictured as a star cast down from heaven into a pit. It is intended to show us the things of the world that we consume, thinking they will satisfy, leave us unsatisfied. It's idolatry at its best. We think money will do it. We think social networking will do it. We think a person will do it. We think food and drink will do it. And then we make those things ultimate. And when we make them ultimate, we have replaced God with those things. And when we replace God with those things, they become toxic and poisonous to us. Because they were never intended to satisfy or nourish us to begin with. And so they disappoint and they fail us. In the fourth trumpet, the lights of heaven are dim. This uh, would be a picture of the people of earth going about their business and their lives in darkness. Not walking in light. In short, the first four trumpets, wake up. Don't 
put your trust here. It will not work. I promise you that. Growing up, I could always tell the people in church that, that believed that God was it. Uh, I grew up in a good church with a lot of good people who loved Jesus and who pursued Jesus and followed Jesus. But I could always tell as a church kid, wa- wa- watching and observing, and, and I was. I was the kid who was always watching and always observing and assessing and evaluating. And I could always tell the people in my church and in my life and in my parents' small groups who truly loved Jesus, who were committed to prayer, who trusted in his promises. I could always tell the authentic ones, and then I could always, of course, tell the ones who were just playing church, who were just showing up, and they led their kids, hey, come come on, sit up, pay attention, look, look like you actually mean it here. And it just didn't work. Their kids saw right through it, many of whom were in youth group with me. They saw right through it, and they went, man, this is not something you actually care about in your weekly life. You do not believe, mom and dad, in the power of God and the power of prayer and the power of his promises and the power of his word. We're playing this thing. They saw that their parents were not awake to the power of the gospel. They saw their parents didn't really care about this stuff. And so these, these four trumpets are warnings. Wake up to the power of God. The fifth warning. I'm ready. Thank you. Gives me time to turn to my text. Verses 1 through 2, chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. It's God's word. Now this is unique in that this star that fell from heaven um, reminds us actually of Jesus' words when he said in Luke chapter 10, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven to reference to Jesus in Luke chapter 10. This star that we read of here represents Satan. And I know, I get it. Like Satan, the idea of Satan, we don't talk about Satan a lot. We don't talk about hell a lot. We don't talk about the devil a lot. If we do, it's kind of in this like cartoonish sort of way. And um, But but what if we're to be honest, we, we believe in the, in the power of, of spiritual darkness. And it, there is a power there. And it's real. And we need to be aware of how real it is. Um, this star represents Satan at the, at the, at the bottomless pit. Uh, would, that would represent hell. One of the most descriptive pictures of hell that I've probably ever read is from William Hendrickson. And it says, the smoke of deception and delusion, of sin and sorrow, of moral darkness and degradation that is constantly belching up out of hell. That's what he's describing here. Despair and separation from all that is pure and good. That's hell. Hell is separation from God. Hell is despair from 
despair and separation from all that is pure and good. Before his retirement from Bethlehem Baptist, John Piper, uh, he compiled a list of, of Satan's 10 strategies against you. And I want to give them to you this morning briefly. Number one, Satan lies and is the father of lies. John 8, when he lies, he speaks according to his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Number two, he blinds the minds of unbelievers. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen to 15, he masquerades in costumes of light and righteousness, so he pretends to be light, he, pretend, he pretends to be righteousness. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is not strange if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Number four, Satan does signs and wonders. He actually does signs and wonders. In 2 Thessalonians 2.9, the last days are described like this. The coming of the lawless one by the activity of Satan will be with all power and with signs and wonders. Some translate it with false signs and wonders or fake signs and wonders. But this makes the signs and wonders seem as though they're going to be unreal or not very powerful. In fact, some people do say that Satan can only fake miracles. I doubt it. And even if it's true, his fake is going to be good enough to look real to almost everybody. Number five, Satan tempts people to sin. That is what he did unsuccessfully to Jesus, remember, with the temptations in the wilderness. He wanted him to abandon the path of suffering and obedience. This is what he did successfully, though, to Judas in the last hours of Jesus' life. Paul warns against this for all believers. He writes, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. He's deceptive. Number six, Satan plucks the word of God out of people's hearts and he chokes your faith. He hates your faith. Jesus told the parable of the four soils. He explains in verse 15, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word which was sown in them. He hates your faith in the power of God. Satan causes some sickness and disease. If you remember, Jesus healed a woman who was once bent over and she actually couldn't stand up to straighten herself out. And when some criticized him for doing that on the Sabbath, he said, ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years. So Jesus credits Satan for the one who made this woman crippled. Bad dude, bad dude so far, right? And we need to know it and believe it. Satan is a murderer. Jesus said to those who are planning to kill him, you are of your father the devil and you do the will of your father's desires. He seeks to kill. Number nine, Satan fights against the plans of missionaries. People have gone to tell and share of the gospel to invite other people to have faith in Jesus. He hates missionaries. Therefore, he hates you if you consider yourself to be a missionary in your context. Paul tells of how his missionary plans were frustrated in 1 Thessalonians 2, 17 and 18. He says, we endeavored the more e eagerly and with great desire to see your face because we wanted to come to you, but Satan hindered us. That's what he wrote. And number 10, Satan accuses Christians. 
he accuses Christians. Revelation 12, which we're going to get to, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. Satan is seeking to accuse you before God. Satan says to God about you. That person doesn't really believe. Andy doesn't really believe. Tim doesn't really believe. Carrie doesn't really believe. God, are you kidding me? She believes me. He believes... They believe me. They don't love you. They love me. So the fifth church trumpet is a warning that Satan is on the prowl. We can choose to ignore the spiritual realm of darkness if we so like continue chalking it up to any man-made term that we want to use. Or we can acknowledge that even now, much of what is hard, painful, much of what creates despair, isolation, loneliness, emptiness, destruction, and death on earth comes directly from the pit of hell. I believe that. It comes from Satan. The sixth warning, the sixth warning. Two more. Chapter 919. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and is in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means, and, and sorry, and by means of them they wound. Let me go back to 13. The, that's the passage I want us to focus on, but the actual announcement of it. The first, this, uh, then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year, were released to kill a third of mankind. Jeez. When the sixth trumpet is blown, it's a voice from the throne that says, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. These are not good angels. These are bad angels. Good angels don't need to be released. Which, even the fact that they need to be released means that God in his, in his, in his mercy and love is, is withholding them from what they could be capable of. These angels have fire and smoke coming from their mouths. Sulfuric acid, it says. They are demon angels. They are on horses. And they wound you. They wound you. Nancy Guthrie, who I leaned into hard for this series and continue to, she, she has commentary on Revelation that's so helpful. She writes, there's something about the word wound that gets to me. I read that and kind of paused and closed my book and was like, oh, yeah, that hurts. Why? To die is very final to then enter into glory and be with God. To stay wounded, to stay wounded, to stay broken, to endure pain, to be wounded and to stay wounded. It says here, false teaching about who God is and what his objectives are on earth are wounding us. They are deceiving us. And it says, many embraced them and did not repent of those false teachings. 
Rather, they love their lives, their freedoms, their wealth. They refuse to turn to Jesus for safety and security. <clears throat> the sixth trumpet blasts as that very warning. Lastly, church, the seventh warning. Seventh warning. Thank you, brother. That was the last one. Let's thank Eric for uh, leading us in the trumpets this morning. Heavy topic. Thought it'd be fun to have some, some trumpeting. Um, let me read this for us. This is good news. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and they worshiped God saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came and the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of earth. I love that phrase, for destroying the destroyers of earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened. The Ark of the Covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning and rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. So church, as we wrap up, the, just as the, as the seventh trumpet brought down the walls of Jericho with Joshua, when the seventh trumpet of heaven blows, the, the pilgrimage, the journey of God's people will be complete. We, they, will take possession of the land that God has promised all along. The place in which we long for, the place in which you long for right now, the celestial city, where all things that are bad and hard and painful, will be no more, will be undone, will be reversed, will be completely out of our memory. The place in which we long for at the seventh trumpet will be no more, no more destroyers, enemies, pain, suffering, you name it. All who have come under King Jesus will enter into his blessing that he alone deserves, but he makes available to you and to me. And so I urge us, church, for the next 10 years, may we be a people who are awake to the glories and the power of God. That's it. May we be a people who are awake to the glories and the power of God. Not be afraid to get into this stuff and to see him for who he is. May we not play this game, but rather humbly walk with King Jesus in these days, how do we do that? We run to Christ. You run to Christ. He is the safety that he invites you into himself. I want to end again with one last quote from Nancy Guthrie. Hear these words. When the world seems to be falling down around you, you can enjoy complete security. You can escape the grip of evil that only torments and takes away from you. You can come under a king who will love and bless you rather than deceive and wound you. He will take away your hard heart and give you a new heart that is soft and responsive to his offer of grace and mercy. Thanks be to God for that offer and that invitation. Let me pray for us. Lord, 
we once again give you our lives as we seek to do every week as we gather in this place. We just recommit our minds and our hearts and our lives to you. We read these pages, and it feels excessive and confusing and scary. And so would you lead us to, in, to instead of those feelings, would we just simply feel holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. We don't have to have that day figured out when you'll make all things new and the process of getting to that point, but we do anticipate it. We trust you in all of it. And even in our lack of trust or unbelief, Lord, thank you for being gracious, for forgiving us as we lack trust and lack belief in you every day. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen.